Well, good morning, church. It's great news to hear about those boxes. Great news to hear just in the worship and praise, kind of stuff that Michelle was sharing. And, um, you know, we do serve the true and living God, amen. And he's always at work and he's always doing miraculous things. I think uh, the trick is, is to recognize, right? when he's doing stuff because he's constantly doing stuff in our midst and uh you know on this belated thanksgiving hopefully you had a blessed thanksgiving hopefully you you know were able to spend time with loved ones that you haven't seen in a long time or just even just had a little bit of downtime for yourself i know it's kind of a little difficult when it's a lot of cooking and cooking starts early and cleanups after so especially if you got a big family it's a lot that goes into that but praise god that uh you know, if you were, you were able to, uh, you know, have some time with you and your loved ones. Amen. I'm excited for uh, this message this uh, this week. I mean, every week uh, I'm excited for uh, what the Lord has in store. But uh, we're uh, starting Revelation chapter three this week. And so we'll be in verses one through three. This is again, I, I've kind of gotten into the habit, I think, or, or, or just this has been what the Lord has been showing me. Uh, these letters to the churches I'm breaking in two parts because it's just not enough time to really get through the meat of what's in these letters in one, um, you know, one message here. So uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter three, verses one down through three. Uh, so when you do get there, please go ahead and stand. We'll read God's word and then uh, <clears throat> we'll get into our message this morning. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one. And it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message for the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, we, um, we thank you for this morning, giving us breath in our lungs, giving us the ability to get out of bed. Lord, drawing us to your house. And Lord, now hearing your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Would this be a personal message? Would it not be something that we look to, oh, someone else needs to hear this. I have just the person in mind who you're talking about. But may we take it personal. May we allow you to do that introspective work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Bring to light things in our lives that need to change. Bring to light things that we need to let go of. Lord, so we can ultimately be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Please encourage us today. May we not be beaten down by this message, but may we rather be enlightened to the reality of how much you love us. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So today we will begin this letter to the church of Sardis. Now, Sardis was in what you call West Central Asia Minor, if you could picture that. I don't have any maps up, but, you know, just keep that in mind. And this was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia, and it was a wealthy and important commercial trading center. So a lot of these cities, they had a lot to do with, uh, you know, a lot of people coming and going, traffic coming and going, things being moved in and out. And so there was a lot of people active in these cities and uh, this city nonetheless. And like the other cities, this was a pagan city at heart. It was home to the well-known temple of Artemis, which still exists today, but it's in ruins. And we've talked about this in messages past. Artemis, I mean, that name, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a cologne and a perfume fragrance. It's still relevant in, in, the, in the, 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 I guess, the perfume industry. So we know that 
all these things still permeate. This is not made up stuff. This is not a fairy tale. This is actual real stuff. And the unbeknownst eye would look at something like that cologne fragrance or that perfume and be like, oh, it's fine. It smells great. But it's actual roots. And what the name is rooted in is actually satanic at heart. And it's sacrilegious and it's pagan at best. You see, the church of Sardis was surrounded by paganism and idolatry. But it failed to stand out amidst the darkness. There was this kind of cloud looming over this church, but they didn't really, they didn't stand out. The church, the true church should stand out from what the world is. The church should not blend in. There should be a distinct difference and not in the ways that some of us would think or how it was back in the day, like, oh, well, culturally or the way we dress. Those, no, those are, those are superficial things. The character of who you, are, who you are and who I am, the manner and how we come across to people, uh, those things that are intrinsic that you can't see. But they, there should be an extreme difference between the way you and I operate and the way the world operates. And unfortunately for the church in Sardis, there was no difference. You couldn't tell the difference between the church and those who lived in the secular world. Although they appeared spiritual on the outside, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew the inner workings of their being. Today we will learn that a reputation isn't worth much if one's actions don't line up with what they say. Right? You can have this great reputation. Oh, this person is such a great person. But then... You know, when you get to know them, oh, man, you're not a great person. You're pretty shady. Maybe, uh, maybe you've had that experience if you've been fortunate enough. I wouldn't say fortunate, but, you know, some, you know, growing up, people idolize certain people. Maybe it's a sports figure. Maybe it's a, a, a musician or something, and, and, and you actually got to know the person, and you thought the world of them. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe you caught them on a bad day, or maybe that's just the way they were. But you met them, and then you come to find out, man, you're cold, you're callous. You're not the way you look like on TV. You're not the way you position yourself to be. And this is kind of what's going on with the church as we see right here. You see, many churches today can be viewed as being spiritual because they have a wide variety of programs, many different ministry programs. Uh, they, they draw large crowds. They have a, a lot of people come to these churches every Sunday, week in and week out. They have well-structured services. Oh, man, they got this and that. They got interpretive dancers and they got a theater group. They got, they got all this stuff to, to, to amuse you and to draw you in with. But it's possible for a church to have the appearance of life while in reality being spiritually dead. I mean, that, that should shake us at our core. That should make us really look at ourselves and be like, Lord, where are we? Where are we? Or do we just assume we're alive? Do we just assume that we're alive in Christ? You see, we need to take a careful spiritual inventory and strengthen the things which remain, lest they die. We have several main points this morning, and the first one is this, and I kind of touched on it briefly a second ago. Just because you and I do things, right? We do things for Jesus. Or we do things in the name of Jesus. Doesn't necessarily mean that we are alive in him. Okay? Because Jesus just pointed out to the church here in Sardis that he knew of what they did. And he knew of their reputation. Yet they were not alive. They were dead. That's what Jesus said. So we must ask the question, what? Does it, what, what qualifies me to actually be alive in Christ? How do I know that I'm alive in Jesus, right? Because I don't want to be like that church and, and, and do all these things and do things in Jesus' name, but yet he tells me I'm dead. So how do we know? What qualifies? Well, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 down through 8 tells us this clearly. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. So the question now is, have you died to Jesus? Or have you died to your sin? Are you, are you alive in Christ being dead to your sin? You see, 
We are alive in Jesus Christ when we truly understand where our true treasure is. Where does our treasure lie? Where does the longing desires of your heart lie? Does it lie in things? Does it lie in experiences? Does it lie in service? (laughs) A lot of us get hung up on that. Oh, I do so much for God. Those are all secondary things. The whole point of being a Christian is to become more like Jesus Christ. It's to be more like him, to be conformed to his moral image, to have relationship with him. Relationship isn't born out of service. Relationship isn't born out of doing things. Relationship is born out of a longing and a desire to want to know him more. Do you pray that in your prayers? Do you say, Jesus, I just want to know you more. I want to see you more real in my life today. I want to sense your presence in my life like I haven't had before. I don't want to be living off yesterday's manna. I want to know you on a deeper, in a deeper way. You see, over time, you and I should become more and more in tune with the fact that our existence should culminate in our truly being conformed to Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's all about. All this, everything we do is all about being more like Jesus. So we do Operation Christmas Child because we want to be more like Jesus. Not so we can be recognized as, oh, so-and-so did this and that. And I'm not, not at all saying that that's what Jean Scott meant, meant when she was sharing what the numbers are. That's something to rejoice about. But it's easy for people to get it twisted and think that's what it's about. It's not about that. That's a reflection of the gratitude that you have and the outpouring of your heart for what's been already done to you from Christ, right? That's what it's about. You see, people who live for Jesus are not concerned about earthly treasures as the rest of the world is. Now, I'm not saying we don't desire uh, 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 things, right? We don't desire to have nice things, but, but those nice things don't take precedent over Christ, and they're not on the forefront of our, of our minds. They're not something that we're longing for, and without those things, we're not complete. You see, you can have wealth. You can be, but, you know, and then you, <laughs> that's a whole other message. Well, what's true wealth, right? Because physical wealth, monetary wealth is only so much. Me and Daniel were talking about it earlier, you know? I mean, when they pull the plug and the coinage isn't, I mean, it's already not worth anything. But when they say, we're not accepting paper checks anymore, like you can't write a check, you know, that's when it's really getting grimy and going to get dirty, um, you know, in the trenches where we're going to be. But, you know, the fact is, you can have things and still be a godly person and still live for Christ. Because it it all goes back to the heart condition. Because you can have someone who's dirt poor and they can be just a nasty person. (laughs) And then you can have somebody with wealth and they can be such a rich person in Christ and vice versa. So we don't base on those things, but it is truly about are we being conformed to Jesus? As all things, what we do is just an extension of our genuine personal relationship with Jesus. I just mentioned that. But this is where the church of Sardis went wrong. You see, they thought because they did a bunch of stuff in the name of Jesus Christ that they were good. They thought they were alive. They said, well, we're doing this. We're doing that. We have all these boxes checked off. We're doing stuff. But they, in fact, were actually dead. You see, this is a great example of us for us today. Again, to truly examine where you and I are personally with our relationship with the Lord. And this is something that we should not shy away from, not be afraid of, because he's, again, he's our heavenly father. I mean, he, he loves us. He loves us. He truly does. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. You ever have those situations where someone claimed they love you, but they were withholding <laughs> the truth from you, and their excuse was, oh, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want you to be mad at me. Ah, we, we don't need people like that in our lives. Those are, that's a hindrance to your growth and my growth. Well, parents, when we treat our children like that, and we don't want to hurt their feelings, when we know something's right, and we because we just can't, we can't come to grips with, we have to be, we have to tell our children the real reality of things. We're doing a disservice to them. 
teachers, when we don't tell the truth to the students, we're doing a disservice to them. We must speak truth and speak it in love. Sometimes there's no, there's really no way of softening the blow, right? The truth hurts. The words are cutting because it's meant to show the person that their condition is wrong and that they need to turn to the only one who can correct that condition, who is Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we have to go through pain because ultimately pain is going to, if one is willing to be humbled, it's going to draw them back to the Lord. Amen. And so we need to be those who are willing to do that and tell the truth. Because we don't want to deceive ourselves, right? I don't want to deceive myself into thinking I'm alive in Christ, but I'm dead. And I'll be real with you, church. I've had to have those conversations with God. I've had to have those prayers just about the church in general here. I'm talking about Resilient Life Church and be like, Lord, is this a dead church? Is this church dead? If it's dead, shut it down. Close the doors. Don't have nobody give money. Don't don't put a burden on anyone's heart to come here and shut this place down. And the Lord revealed to me that this is not a dead church. But, but, the, but, but you see, these are things that you have to, I have to engage in. We can't just be like, well, I don't want to hear that because it's uncomfortable. Well, shoot, it's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> you know, my name is not only tied, tied to this thing legally, but spiritually, you know, I have a great responsibility to, to under shepherd this church. And, and I have to ask those hard questions and I have to, and we have to ask those questions. You know, are there problems where, where can problems be solved? You know, a sure sign that there's, there's, there's a lot of danger in a ministry is when nobody wants to address anything and people are afraid. Oh, I don't want conflict. (laughs) You know, I had, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, because I'm, I'll keep it real and honest. You know, I had a situation and there was a couple weeks ago and I thought Lou was mad at me. I was like, oh man, how do I, how do I, how do I address this man? How do I talk to him about, you know, something that may be so trivial, but it's like, man, it's, it's I can't, Lord, I can't shake it. I don't know. I don't know what happened. You know, and, and the Lord gave me time and, and the Lord spoke to me throughout the course of a week. And then, you know, it was super cool how it was just casual and it wasn't it wasn't nothing fake. It wasn't this whole, OK, well, we got to sit down. It's like, no, just, you know, Christian brother, Christian brother. I just asked him a question. I said, hey, you know, I asked him about a certain thing. It's like, you know, this is what it was. And it's like, you, you see, but. It was totally different from what had originally, I had originally thought. But if, if, we don't, if we don't engage in those things, and it was something super silly. I don't even need to talk about what it was, but it was super silly and it's, it's nothing. But if I was unwilling to engage in that for uncomfortability's sake, then I am not the right person to do this responsibility. Because in all things, and, that, and, what, that, and then what, what that particular instance showed me was that there's going to be something else that's going to come along down the road that's going to be way more serious that I and all of us are going to have to be willing to address situations even though it's uncomfortable for the good of not only you but for everyone else for all of the body of Christ and when we're unwilling to do those things that is a sure sign that there are many underlying problems going on within the church and you see it many churches just all humdrum <laughs> they, they, they don't want to they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but it's like, let's go back to the Bible. And I'm not saying just in my own understanding, but what does the Bible say about something? You know, if something's going on, get right with the person and then bring your, your, your gift to the altar. See, it's about that. It's about having harmony within the body. How can you have harmony within the body if there's undertone things that people are thinking and nobody says anything, right? We, we need to be honest. And that's the same thing with our personal relationship with God. He already knows this is what was going on with this church here. And Jesus had to address it because they weren't. They weren't going to address. They just thought they were alive and they were doing great. And he had to say, you know what? You guys are dead. And what's lingering is dying as well. It's like your your church has got gangrene. (laughs) You guys are rotting away. And he's telling them, y'all need to repent. Get right with me because what you're doing, it's not even in line with my God. It's not even in line with my father. You keep going your way and it's going to be all bad. So he had to help them understand they needed to address these things, even though it was uncomfortable, even though it was painful. It was the best thing for them. Amen. All right. The second main point is this. If we are not alive in Jesus Christ, we need to wake up. Before it's too late. 
You see, this is the interesting thing about all of these letters. They were penned to the church. They weren't penned to non-believers. They were not penned to people who said, I don't care about Jesus. They were penned to people who said, I profess Jesus Christ. I love him. He saved my soul. He's my savior. He's my God. He's my Lord. This letter is addressed to them, to us. And he's telling the church, you're dead. But I thought I profess you. You're dead. You see, so even in that, we see it's so much more than just an audible profession. Because even the demons say that Jesus is Lord. So it's got to be something deeper than just, I raise my hand. And I'm not knocking that approach. If people come with that, it is what it is. What I'm saying is, it's so much deeper than that. That is just a little benchmark. That is like a precursor to like, there's something going on in me that's not right. I can't fix it. This pastor said, if I raise my hand and say that Jesus Christ is my Savior, I'll be saved. Okay, that's a good starting point. But it, you, can't, you can't be 30 years into Christ and that's where you're at. Just I wave my hand. You know, no, it, it's got to be you have been transformed. You have, you're continually being transformed. That's what sanctification is, being sanctified going from the dirty mess that you were, that I was, and over time walking with the Lord and seeing things chipping off, being chipped away, things falling away from the former person and being that new creation, constantly being renewed in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we want to see. But you see, Jesus gave a clear command to those who were spiritually dead to wake up. The definition of awake is very interesting to me. First of all, the word awake is a verb. So any of you that are into English and and are into, you know, that, you know that a verb is an action word. So it's movement. It's something going on. It's just not stagnant. Again, that idea of I'm just here and this is where I'm at and this is where I've been for this ever since I've known the Lord. No, there needs to be action that takes place. Something needs to happen. The definition of the word awake means to become conscious or aware of something. To be conscious or aware of something. And in the case of the church of Sardis, they needed to become conscious and aware of their spiritual blindness, of their spiritual deadness. The fact that they were dead. They weren't alive. They were dead. They needed to become aware of who Jesus Christ truly was. Not just an image or a picture of him on the cross. It's interesting because... When you think of that, and and this is why the Bible says don't make images of God, of what you and I think God is. Because making him with blonde hair, blue eyes is not good. Making him with dark wool hair and brown skin ain't good. Putting him on a cross ain't good. He's not on the cross. (laughs) He's he's off that cross. And, and, And any kind of idea, even with good intentions of how we try to create to draw closer to him by these ideas we make, it never does it and it doesn't never do him justice because these are human hands that are trying to and a human mind trying to formulate who God is. You know God in spirit and in truth. You know him through his word. That's how you find out about him. Not by what Michelangelo did, not what the the black Hebrews in New York are talking about. You don't do it based on those things. You're going to just find yourself going down rabbit holes that are detrimental to your spiritual health going in that route. I don't care how much a painting's worth. I don't care how much people are preaching in the streets about this stuff. Go to the word of God. Because he said, <laughs> any person that believes, anyone. So he's not tripping off of any race. He's talking about all people. But we need to know him in spirit and in truth. Jesus, this is a beautiful thing though. He tells them that they need to wake up and strengthen what remains. This is such mercy on the lord's part he just said they're dead you're dead (laughs) but he's telling them wake up and strengthen what remains we must realize that we are only given so much time on this planet if you woke up today oh that's such a great blessing if you're into jumping up and screaming hallelujah when you're at home or whatever you do that's the time to do it you woke up you've been given a fresh new day His mercies are new every morning. I was told by someone a while ago, sometimes when you're having a hard day, you just need to get something to eat and go to sleep. (laughs) Get something to eat and go to sleep. Why? Because his mercies are fresh and new every morning. Sometimes you just need to turn it in, chalk it up, say it's been a hard day. 
And let me just get something to eat and let me just go rest. And then I can wake up and his mercy is going to be fresh and new for me. And I'm going to be in a better place. Then if I stay up for another five hours fuming on something that you're like, you're just stressing yourself out. You're making your hair fall out. You're making your health not good. Nobody wants to be around you. (laughs) You know, get something to eat and just go rest, man. Chill out. It ain't that deep. Well, maybe it is that deep, but you still need to get some rest. You see... We don't want to squander our days as we live on this earth. And we don't want to squander our days living for Christ, but it's actually a lie because we're spiritually dead. We want to be aware of being truly alive in Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to be. That, that, that's, that is what we aim to do as Christians. The third main point is this. If we fail to wake up. So we've been told could be potentially this church said he said Jesus said you're dead wake up if you do, if you if you don't wake up Jesus said he's going to come like a thief in the night you see just as a thief catches a household by surprise Jesus will catch these unrepented believers by surprise when he returns in judgment notice i said unrepented believers it's not those who see the error in their ways and are quick to repent it's those who defy God by saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to repent. Which really, you have to question, is this person even a true believer? Because a true believer would not act in a manner, in a lifestyle, you know, in opposition to God. They would recognize that conviction sets in. They would recognize God is God and I'm who I am and I'm going to repent. Someone who says, I'm a Christian, but chooses to hold a fist to God, unwilling to repent, I dare say they're not even saved because that doesn't fall in line with what Scripture says. But he's going to come in surprise when he comes in judgment. You see, people will be eating and drinking, being given in marriage, just as it always has been. But before they know it, judgment will be upon them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begins and there will be no escape. For all you women who've had children, you can relate to that. I can't relate to that. I can only relate to that in the text of what I read. But when you're pregnant and a a labor pain comes on out of nowhere, it's on, right? It's on. That's it. You're like, what? what is cracking up in my stomach? All I know is get me where I need to get to. This ain't happening. But it comes out of nowhere. And Jesus is saying he's going to come in that regard to those who are in the church, who, be- who say that they are Christians, but refuse to repent. He's going to come in that manner. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 tells us, So be on your guard. Do not... Uh, Not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. You see, it all comes back to being awake. Awake to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Okay, let's go ahead and look at these verses. So starting back in verse 1, it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Okay, so let's get some brief history of uh, this church real quick. Um, So at the time Jesus spoke these words to John, the ancient city of Sardis had its best days already behind them, and it was starting to decline. Um, Yet it was still a wealthy city, and it was located, like I said, uh, in, in, in the area of several different roads and trade routes. So people would pass through here constantly. The connection between Sardis and money or I should say easy money, was well known in the ancient world. This is actually where the first coinage was ever minted in Asia Minor. It was minted in Sardis. So it was actually the birthplace of modern money. This is where people started trading coins and, you know, with with amounts and whatnot. Um, This city was also a city well known for its luxury and it's kind of it's softness it's decadence if you want to use that kind of word that that, these are all things that were associated with this city it was uh it had a well-deserving reputation for apathy and immorality again it was a pagan city um they they 
They worshipped pagan gods. In particular, there was a temple uh, built to this mother goddess, Sybil. And uh, if you were ever to go there, the ruins of this temple was, was, can be seen with uh, very high, 60 feet high ruins. And, uh, you know, it's still there as far as the ruins go. So they were into this, this pagan worship. This mother goddess was honored in worship with all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity. So this is, again, this is nothing uncommon to that region in this time. This is what uh, many of the people did. This is what they engaged in. But the combination of easy money and loose moral living made the people of Sardis uh, notoriously soft and pleasure-loving. And so this pleasure-loving, pleasure-seeking, easy money-grab lifestyle began to bleed into the church. Does that was that was that? That sounds like Las Vegas. That sounds like Las Vegas. Yeah, you, that, I, you know, I, I, I really enjoy how we share the same Holy Spirit <laughs> because, you know, I was about to ask, does that sound familiar? Everything that we're talking about in the text, this is you see this going on, unfortunately, in our own culture. It's like what y'all call yourselves the church. How are you the church? You got people over here sleeping together, doing this and doing that, gambling, doing drugs. And, and I get we all come from a checkered background. But there again, there's got to be some point where the line of demarcation is drawn and you go away from what you used to do. And now you're living a, a new life in Christ, not I'm in Christ, <laughs> but I'm living like this. And, and we all go through it. I, I only share from my own experience. I've been there, done that. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't because I'm a new creation. I'm changed. But we see that this lifestyle was it, it, it was it was prevalent in this church, in this area. You see, this is this is the crazy thing. The great characteristic of Sardish was that even on pagan lips, Sardish was the name of contempt. So people who weren't even believers like that's a bad place. I'm not, I don't even know Jesus, but I'll tell you right now, that's a bad place. And, and Daniel just said it. You know, it, it's like a Las Vegas. It's like a San Francisco. It's like a Los Angeles. It's like Hollywood. People that are non-believers say, I would never send my daughter to go live in Los Angeles. I would never send my daughter to go live up in San Francisco. I would never send my son to go live in Las Vegas. Strip clubs all around. Gambling in the airport. <laughs> you know, but, but this was... This was the outlook. This was how regular, this was how normal this lifestyle was. And sometimes we, we even the church, we, we begin to grow, uh, we just get used to it. And we don't think anything of it. Like, oh, you know, Las Vegas ain't that bad. I had a family reunion there a couple of years ago and it wasn't nothing. I really did have a family reunion there about 10 years ago, but I didn't put it on. And it was at the Tiki, whatever. So we were off the strip. <laughs> we were nowhere near all that craziness. But, you know, we can, we can grow, you know, like, oh, it's not a big deal. But it is. You see, when non-believers talk about places out of control, they, sh- they shouldn't be regarding us as one of those places. You see, Sardis was also an arrogant city. For an example, they were very loose with their military defenses. Because they had steep, high sea cliff walls surrounding the city, they thought that they could never be penetrated because of uh, the defense of just what nature provided. So they didn't have soldiers watching or guarding the walls. But on several occasions, but on, on this one particular that I'm sharing, it came back to bite them. It came back to bite him really hard. During the reign of King uh, 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 Cyrus, one of his soldiers, he studied the problem out carefully, and uh, he saw... Uh, a soldier from Sardis dropped his helmet. It fell down kind of like a little, uh, I don't know, ravine or a trail. It, it fell down. And, and, and this, this soldier from Cyrus's army saw this soldier uh, come down and go get his helmet and then go back up. And so basically they saw, oh, that's a way you can get up and get through. And so later on at a prominent time, typically when everyone's asleep, he, uh, uh, King Cyrus sent a band of his soldiers to go to that trail. <laughs> they went up that trail, and sure enough, they got in the city over the wall. There was nobody guarding the area, and that's it. They got taken over. The application is this. We are not to trust in our own wisdom, our own strength, and our own might. We are to run to Jesus Christ, who is our only true source of protection. 
You see, his protection is in great contrast to the protected walls of Sardis. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 tells us, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And, and I love what Michelle had talked about earlier. She had talked about how, you know, um, she had a difficult week. But when you, you know, you hear the words of a song or you, you get reminded by the Holy Spirit of what the Lord does and, and you run to him, Man, you're, 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 you're well again. He uplifts you. He comforts you. He provides for you through his people. And, and, and if I can encourage you with anything is whenever you're going through something difficult, that is exactly the time to run to Christ, not run away from him. Death in the family, run to Christ. Someone's in the hospital, run to Christ. Something's going on with family members. They're bickering and complaining and there's all chaos is broken loose in the family unit. Run to Christ. Those are the times. Because he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who are weak, that acknowledge that weakness, that acknowledge they need that help, right? I'm constantly running to the Lord. But he, he, his presence is heavy on those who acknowledge they're weak. If you think you got it together, he's like, <laughs> go ahead, figure it out, man. You're going to come running back at some point, but go ahead, do your thing. And he'll allow that too, right? If, if, we, if we don't humble ourselves, he will allow things to transpire in our lives to show us we don't got it together. And either way, like little children, we come running back to daddy because it's a, that's where we need to go. He's our strong tower, our mighty fortress. You see, as Jesus described himself, he used terms that emphasized his character as the master of every spiritual power and authority. That's where we get this whole repetition of the number seven. It helps indicate uh, the number, uh, or, or excuse me, completeness in the Bible. So Jesus is saying that he holds the fullness of the Spirit of God and the fullness of the church. Again, we go back to, we want to ultimately be like Jesus. The whole aim is to be more like Christ, to take on his moral character. And even though some people say it's corny, you know, the whole what would Jesus do saying, there is truth to that. In every circumstance in life, it's like, well, what would the Lord do? You know, would the Lord lash out at this child? Oh, would the Lord find a way to be uh, as shrewd as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove and find a way to get down on that child's level, but still explain the principle to the child so the child gets it? <laughs> I use that example because I still struggle with that. You know, it's like I need to be more like Jesus and how I administer truth to my children and do it in a loving way, in a caring way. But, but this is what he's talking about. He holds the fullness of the spirit and the fullness of the church. It says, he who has the seven spirits, uh, excuse me, the seven spirits of God. Jesus has the fullness of the Holy Spirit in himself. And he has the Holy Spirit in the fullness to give to the church. Again, that's why we run to Christ. That's why we look to Jesus. You take your cues from Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can show you what you truly need. You know, that's why when we say, you can listen to what I'm sharing with you because what I share with you is what the Lord showed me throughout the week, but you need not be a fool. You need to be wise and look at what I'm telling you and really look to Christ. Don't look to me, right? I'm just a vessel to be used. I'm not anyone to be lifted up or esteemed in no shape, form, or fashion. I'm just like you. I'm taking my cues from him. And if we do share the same Holy Spirit, then there should be a consensus in what I'm sharing and what the Lord is showing you. And if there's any discrepancies, we need to work those things out so we can get right. But we get right by going to the word. Amen. That's what we do. That's how it should be done. Not this whole other weird stuff they got going on where people pop up in the pulpit and just share whatever. And people are just so not concerned that they just take it as truth without glancing at their own word. You know, we need to be those that are aware of what's going on. Um, okay. We know that the seven stars represent the churches because, what of, what, because of what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And through these letters, when Jesus speaks to the angels of the seven churches, he speaks not to one individual, but to the entire church. And, and that's why a message like this, we can't say, well, we're not Sardis. We're not in the Middle East. We're not back then. We're not in Asia Minor. We're in the armpit. <laughs> we're in Milpitas, California. And we're, we're in the tech company, the technology center of the world. And this doesn't apply to me. No, if you're in the body of Christ, this applies to you. This applies to me. And we can't just say, well, I'm not dead. 
How dare you say I'm dead in Christ? Don't you know what I do? It's like, first, calm down. (laughs) Second of all, take it all with a grain of salt and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because I guarantee you, there's been many times where I'm like, I am not guilty of anything. And the Lord's like, dude, sit your butt down. Let me just show you all these areas where you lack and where you are not like my son. And I'm I'm sorry, Lord. (laughs) Help me. I don't want to be like that. And, you know, and so it's better that we just allow the word to speak and he'll show. He'll show. Not me. But he'll he'll show you where this applies to your life and he'll encourage you where you're doing good and he'll encourage you to continue. Like he said, (laughs) strengthen what remains, whatever's good in you that the Lord has deposited into your soul. Strengthen that which remains. Amen. The application is this. If we want to be full and complete in this life, I'm talking about right now. We know we're going to be complete when we go to heaven. But if you want to be full and complete now, we must pursue Jesus Christ. There are no other pursuits in life that will yield the same results. You see, we can seek after success. We can seek after fame. We can seek after wealth. We can seek after knowledge. We can seek after pleasure. We can seek after happiness. We can even seek after uh, companionship, right? But they all fall short. The only one who is complete is the only one who can complete you, if that makes sense, right? He is complete. We We just learned in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in the fullness he gives to the church. So he can give to you. He's the only one who can give to you what you truly need. And when you receive it, you become whole in him. And certain desires get knocked off because they're not desires that are worthy of your time. And there's other things that he'll bring to mind. And that's why people do certain things where they just, they just love on people and they just do things for people. Why? If they're believers, it's because the fullness of Christ in them is overflowing. And as we say, you should always be poured into and pouring into someone else or else that becomes stagnant. And we know we need to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means every day you and I need to be pouring into someone or multiple people because that is how the Lord operates. That's how, that's how he gets honor and glory by working through your life to affect and touch other people. And there should be people that we're touching, you know, for the love of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for his, 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 his presence to be manifested uh, upon them through you, through a clean vessel, through me, right? This is, these are ways that we know we're alive in Christ because of these things that happen. He says, I know your works, that you have a name and that you are alive. I know your works. Well, Jesus said to each, he said this to each of the churches. <laughs> I know your works. Uh, what, what, what a church is and what a church does is never hidden from Jesus. He knows our works. <laughs> He's like resilient life. I know your works. I know what you do. I know you. Don't think you're flying under the radar, even in the armpit. I know you. You do not go overlooked. That you have a name that you are alive. Jesus knew that the church at Sardis had a name that, uh, that is a reputation of life and vitality. From the outside looking in, if you looked at this church of Sardis, you would see signs of life and vitality. Because, uh, you know, everything seemed good. It wasn't like members of the church were scattering. It wasn't like the pastor was ready to resign. You know, uh, there was busyness going on. They had meetings throughout the week, right? They had committees galore, people that were signing off on this and that. They were promoted publicly. There was publicity. There was something always going on. It was a happening church. It was like, y'all are doing it, man. And, you know, sometimes we fall into that trap of, oh, I want to do it like them. (laughs) Or sometimes pastors fall into that trap of, oh, we got to do it like them. You see, they got a TV show, they got a radio show, they're on KFAX, they're, you know, they're doing this and that, the, the website's popping, they got a big old building, they're renovating, they got services at 2 o'clock, at 4 o'clock, at 6, 6, 6 o'clock. Oh man, what if the Lord is not calling you to do all that, you know? 
What if the Lord's calling you to have, we, we have one service. We don't even have a midweek service right now. Does that mean that we're, we're, we're dead? I mean, again, only the Lord can answer that. But Jesus goes on to say all this busyness, all this work, all this service that they're doing. He says you are dead. Despite their reputation of life, Jesus saw them for what they really were. But you are dead shows that a good reputation is no guarantee of true spiritual character. Despite their good appearance, Jesus saw them as dead. This indicates no struggle, no fight, no persecution. You see, it wasn't that the church of Sardis was losing the battle, but a dead body has already lost the battle and the fight was over. It seemed to be over. In this letter, Jesus didn't encourage the Christians of Sardis to stand strong against persecution or false doctrine, probably because there wasn't a significant danger of these things in Sardis. But being dead in the church, it presented no significant threat to Satan's dominion. So it wasn't worth attacking. The application is this. We have to ask the Lord to reveal to us where we may be dead spiritually. We have to. If you're unwilling to ask the Lord where you're dead spiritually, you're unwilling to really grow with him. You're unwilling for him to give you the truth. You're, you're willing to just keep things as they are, status quo, because it's comfortable. But if you want to grow in the Lord, you have to be willing to go to those places that, could, that are risky. It's risky to say, Lord, show me where I'm spiritually dead. It's risky to say, I want patience. When you say, Lord, give me patience, what does he do? He gives you unruliness off the hook because you want patience. How do you think you grow patience? By everything being rosy and peachy keen? No, by you being (laughs) pressed to your wit's end. And you have to be calm and cool under pressure. You have to seek him to be able to be a blessing to people, even though they're they're, they're gnawing off your last nerve that's already fallen off. But that's how you develop patience in the same way with being spiritually alive you have to be willing to ask where am i dead lord where is there cancer in my spiritual life and can you eradicate that cancer from me can you bring me to a living state again we have to if we're not keep short daily accounts with jesus because if we don't we either dead or we're on the verge of being dead we we are to confess our sins to god we are to confess sins in particular by name being specific you know you know how sometimes we be doing them vague prayers oh lord forgive me <laughs> father god forgive me for my sins well, well, well what's this, what sins are we talking about though and this is something that's between you and god but you got to get specific i got to get specific if you don't name it then it's like you're just you're not ready <laughs> you gotta call it what it is i have to call it what it is we are to confess our sins quickly Not letting things linger on for three weeks, four weeks, a month, two months, two years. When you feel the prick in your heart, that conviction set in, you need to get right with the Lord. I need to get right with the Lord. And we need to confess our sins regularly. You see, we are to confess our sins to get right also with those around us if we've caused offense. And go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. You see, if we live like this, for sure we're going to be alive in Christ. There's not even a question because it's that that daily keeping short accounts with him. Being in, that's what being in communion is. That's what when you're a husband and wife, when you're close, when you're tight with one another, it's because you guys are communicating all the time. And when and when they do, rifts come up, the problem gets addressed, even though someone's sour or maybe both people are sour. But you guys get right and you're better than you were before. But it's because you have a relationship. And that's the same thing with us in God and Jesus Christ, right? We, we have to have this constant relationship going on. Without that, I mean, if we're just Sunday Christians, then don't expect for the manifested power and glory of God to fall upon your life and for him to give you the supernatural unction that you need in any moment of your life throughout the week because it ain't happening. Coming here is not it. It needs to be every single day. He's the heartbeat of your life. And I'm not talking about being fanatical. I'm talking about truly understanding the place of Jesus Christ in your life. 
And when you have that together, that's where the power comes into play. That's where that supernatural flow from him into your life comes is because you're like this. When we're not like that with him, it ain't cutting it. It's just just not. It's not cutting it. You know, me, I have this thing with my son where every morning before him and Teresa go to uh, my my parent, uh, my uh, my in-laws, you know, the Bible app, they got the little thing now where they have the little video and you can just watch the video and they, somebody gives some little exhortation about the verse. My son's in a Sonic right now and drawing and this and that. Another day, I don't know, was it Friday? And, uh, you know, I was like, all right, we're going to do our little quick uh, little, little uh, Bible verse this morning. And he was just complaining, and I don't want to do that, and I, I want to do this thing. I said, son, look, if you can't give God two minutes of your morning, I said, we talked about this, the first fruits of your time. When you get up in the morning, you're so into Sonic. I said, you're going to be on that thing stinking all day long. <laughs> all day long, you're going to be on this iPad. You're going to be drawing this and that. I said, you can't give God who created you two minutes of your morning i said that's then that shows who's really on the seat of your heart it's sonic it's this technology it's the things you want and i give that illustration not not to smash on my son but we all struggle with that same thing who is sitting on the seat of our hearts if we complain this is too long this is too long this and that it's like what well, if God is your God, he's with you every second of the day. You should, how dare you say anything is too long when it comes to the Lord, right? How dare I say? Because that, all that saying is my desires are more important than what God is trying to show me. I, I'm just keeping it real because these are things that I go through. And I know if I'm going through it, you, you all must be going through it too. There's just no way. But he says in the next verse, and we're ending it with these last two verses, He says, wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believe and believe that first hold to it firmly, repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. So he says, wake up. This first instruction from Jesus told them that they needed to examine and protect strengthening of what they had. And then he says the things that remain. It tells us that though their spiritual condition was not, was bad, it wasn't hopeless. And this is, again, this is where the hope comes from. This is where, man, this is where God sets himself apart from every other deity that's ever been created. First of all, he's not created. But second of all, look at his mercy. He says, you know, the things that remain, Wake up. You see, spiritually there were things which remained that could be strengthened. Jesus had not given up on them, though it was late in the game. Though they were almost ready to die, it wasn't too late. The application is this. As long as you were alive, as long as I'm alive, there is hope. It's not too late. You're still breathing. Okay? A dire situation is a perfect situation for Jesus Christ. That's what he specializes in, taking a hopeless person and making them hopeful. Someone who has no hope, but they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. He will give them hope. He is their hope. And from him, all things flow that are good. You see, the trick is, and hear me on this, please do not miss this because this is so important. The trick is we have to come into agreement with what he commands we have to come into agreement come into agreement excuse me with who he is if we don't that's when we run into all kinds of trouble that's what's going on in the world today the world does not want to come into agreement with who jesus christ says he is and so they're outright rebelling they're outright fighting against him because they're failing to fall in line with what the word of god says amen amen You see, we have a part to play and we need to consciously agree with the Lord's commands for our lives. So that's when he says, do not murder, do not steal, do not have malice against your brother, do not have hate in your heart, do not commit sexual uh, immorality, do not commit adultery, do not have, you know, homosexual relations, do not do all these things. We have to come into agreement with that. And when we don't come into agreement with that, that's where the problems begin. 
We have to ask him to work through us to accomplish his purposes. We have to. We have to say, Lord, give me your wisdom. Give me your strength. Give me your ability to love. Help me to be caring. Help me to be, help me to stand firm and and not fall back because everyone's telling me that you're fake and you're not real and that I'm a weenie because I'm a Christian. Help me to be like, no, I'm, I'm, I have a, I have a righteous pride to be in Christ and be a young person. And I'm not taken back by the opposition and what people tell me. You see, the flip side of this is many people say the devil made me do it. Oh, man, the yo, Satan made me do it. I mean, I just was hard pressed. I was, <laughs> you know, it was difficult for me. You know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's an excuse to try uh, and not be accountable for our actions by putting it off on Satan. It's not always a demon. You know, a lot of times it's our flesh and it's our own desires. It's our own not being right with God. You see, what you and I do, what we come into agreement with is extremely important. It's extremely important. Many times we fall into sin because you and I come into agreement with these things and we've purposed in our minds and our hearts. I'm okay with that. And so when we live like that, that's what's going to happen. So it depends on what you come into agreement with. We got to come into agreement with the word of God and not Satan. Amen. I mentioned this earlier, but in its history, the city of Sardis was easily conquered twice before. It wasn't that the uh, attacking armies overwhelmed Sardis, but because of overconfidence, it made them stop being watchful. They were asleep and not awake. The spiritual state of the church was a reflection of the city's historical character. And they were loosey-goosey with things. And so that's where they got caught up. Jesus goes on to say, I have not found your works perfect before God. This shows that their works, though present, had not measured up to God's standard. The application is simply this. The presence of works isn't enough because God requires a particular intent and purpose in all of our works. See, it's not the work itself that he cares about. He cares about what's the motive behind the work. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you professing that's causing you to do those things? They should be done with a heart and in a manner that shows them to be perfect before God. It's not that we are saying that our works pass the test, but that the Lord Jesus Christ says they do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 tells us this clearly. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each build builder has done the fire will show a person's work uh, if a person's work has any value if the work survives that builder receive will receive a reward but if the work is burned up the builder will suffer great loss the builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames they they perform duties right of all kinds but not 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 duly completed we want to be complete in Christ. We, we don't want to be, you know, half-hearted in what we do. The, uh, they, were, they were constantly beginning, but never brought anything to a proper end. And then Jesus goes on to say, remember, therefore, how you have, uh, what you have received, and hold fast and repent. What they must do was to remember how they first received and heard the word of God. And I'll end with with this as the worship team comes up. They must hold fast to those things and repent by turning and restoring the gospel of the true apostolic doctrine to the authority over in their lives. Like basically saying, Lord, you have free reign and I repent. He says, therefore, if you do not watch, I will come as a thief. Jesus warned them of, of a great danger in failing to watch. And he tells us this too. If we're not watchful, he's going to come back as a thief. If they ignore, ignored his command to be watchful, then Jesus would come upon them as a thief, as completely unexpected. How would Jesus come? He would come in the sense of immediate judgment. No longer this prolonged, okay, I give you time. We today, we know. So may we be those that are watchful. 
May we take the time to truly allow the Lord to examine our hearts, to expose areas that need to be repented of, that need growth. And may we continue on in the courage and the strength of his might to accomplish his purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you that you love us. Lord, your love is unlike any love that we've ever experienced. You love us enough to show us the right way. Oh, we could have so much peace if we would just surrender to you and not try to do it in our own way. Lord, help us to follow hard after you in any area, Lord, that we need to give up. I already know because there's been things that I've had to give up this weekend, but it's a good thing. Lord, we're always better off when we submit to you. Lord, may you continue to receive all honor and glory. Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.